0: Welcome to The Net and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire. Coach and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash The Nat and Sarah Show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop-style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations.
0: Hey, dreamers. We continue the conversation today with a former Hindu monk. I just wanted to be able to say that out loud. Like, isn't it? It isn't every day that you can say you've eaten at a famous beef restaurant in New Zealand with a vegetarian monkey. That was officially our very first date. (laughs) I love it. Love that story. And look, I've been enraptured by this man ever since. Bringing forward the teachings of his guru, he guides and trains entrepreneurs as well as companies who prioritize cultivating and managing energy, such as Nike, Trivago, Zero, and the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. And now he's a new daddy. So hopefully he's awake enough to have this conversation with us. And let's see if we can talk about more than dirty diapers today. Um, He and his wife are also creating a 33-acre spiritual sanctuary in Costa Rica. And once it's completed, we are all invited. So stay tuned. I don't know if he's okay, that I just said that, but I said it out loud. Can't take it back. In the previous episode of the Nat and Sarah show, we've been fine tuning our post step of focus, providing the adhesive for our three-step process. Without focus, the three steps can get left behind and hence, you know, are not given the opportunity to impact one's life. So Dandapani, we are in complete gratitude today that we can clarify focus for our community as it's just so darn important. So, before we jump into this idea of focus, my friend, can you take us back to that time when a boy from Perth decides to enter a monastery? Like, how does that even happen?
2: Hi, Sarah, thanks for having me on your show. You're welcome. (laughs) It's been many days since the Botswana butchery in Queenstown, New Zealand. Yep.
0: Wait, wait, I couldn't remember the name of the restaurant, so thank right. you for
2: bringing it You're home. You're welcome. Yep, uh, it's ingrained in my head when I got invited to a butchery, the, the Hindu priest. Yeah, what, a, what an invitation. Um, well, I was born in Malaysia, and I first had the thought to be a monk when I was around four or five years old. A monk actually turned up in my home. And my mom was the only one at home with me. And she invited him as customary in my religion. Monk comes to your house. You invite him in. You give him some food and some water and a little bit of money. And he gives you some wisdom in exchange. And then he leaves. And when I saw him, uh, I said, that's me. And I held on to that. So 20 years later, after that experience, I finally took my vows to become a monk. My family had migrated then from Malaysia to Australia. I did a bit of high school in Australia. I went to university, graduated from university, and, and then joined the monastery, my guru's monastery in Hawaii.
0: Wow. So that little boy that saw – I didn't know that part of the story. So as a little boy, when the monk walks into your home and you say, yeah. ah, that's me, I want to do that, what was it that you were wanting to emulate? What part of what you saw that day?
2: You know – I saw how he was dressed up and you've seen me dressed up you know, I'm no longer a monk. I'm a Hindu priest now and priests and monks and Hinduism pretty much dressed the same. So it's a little hard to tell them apart. Mm-hmm. Most people get it confused, get them confused. But when I saw how he was dressed up with, you know, the stripes on his forehead, uh, the beads around his necks, the robes he was wearing, it, I just completely recognized that. And for me, I always feel that, you know, it was probably something from a past life. It must've been a monk, in my last life or previous lives that I could see it so early in this life, recognize it and go, that's me. That's what I want to do. That's who I am. Because a lot of kids grow up and they say, you know, I want to be a footballer. I want to be an actor, an actress. I want to be an Olympic gold medalist, you know, for example, (laughs) just saying. But how many people actually go out and do that? I mean, people say these things, but even people say, I want to be a firefighter. They do that. You know, they think that kids think that for a few weeks, for a few months, and then they go be an accountant or something, you know, exactly. not saying that being an accountant is bad, but they just never pursue that dream that, that day, you know, uh, <laughs> one, two. Uh,
0: this is good. We're our little laugh. For all the accountants listening, we are yes. just loving on you. You can't even imagine, right there. Exactly,
2: we love accountants. We totally love accountants. <laughs> we do, <did>. and <laughs> yeah, and that's where that's the first event that we we, we spent in Queenstown. We spoke to three hundred accountants, right?
0: Isn't yeah, and they week. had some great questions, didn't they, Donna Pani? That we are not asking really? today. That's Except, right. Well, this show would probably get a lot more popular if we yeah. asked the question. So. Which, For some of you, if you last the whole time, maybe, maybe, maybe you'll get this really dirty question that uh, Dantapani got to answer.
2: But you know what? We, we can make that a uh, part two, another show, so that you know, your listeners come back again.
0: Oh, I like that. There need, there all all the things you want to ask a monk, all the dirty questions you want to ask a monk, but thought you weren't allowed. Okay, that's yeah. that's our part two, Okay.
2: That's right. Deal done.
0: Sorry, I'm getting excited about part 2. I've got some questions. But because so, today's about focus, um let's say focus. <laughs> and you said, "Okay, you're right because a lot of people say, look, I want to um I, I want to be the president of the United States or I want to be an Olympic gold medalist or I, I want to be an accountant." So, what is it that allowed you to go from I want to be a monk and actually realize it? What kind of focus was required from you?
2: And here's the thing, right, you know, uh, Sarah, just to kind of dial back a little bit, you know, a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, can you help me concentrate? Can you help me develop focus? And I said, I can. And then my question to them after I say I can is, once you learn to focus, what are you going to focus on? And most people go, I have no idea. So what should precede focus is purpose, right? So purpose precedes, precedes focus. So I, I think there are four stages. There's purpose,
0: mm-hmm.
2: focus, simplify, and sacrifice. Okay. Right. And I can walk, walk you through that. So once you're clear what your purpose is, then focusing on it becomes so much easier. So when I realized, you know, at four or five years old, I wanted to be a monk. But it wasn't until about eight, nine years old that I realized it wasn't really about being a monk. That wasn't my purpose in life. My purpose in life was enlightenment. That's what my purpose in life is. Being a monk was the most efficient way to get to enlightenment. So that only became clear maybe around eight, nine years old. So now my purpose in life was really clear. I was passionate about it. Now I could be focused on it. And a lot of times people can't maintain that focus because they don't really have a purpose. And that purpose is, is really your DNA. You know, like, like Nat wanted to win a gold medal. That was her purpose. Now it was very easy for her to stay focused on that. And a lot of people have just fleeting ideas of, you know, I want to be a a musician, a sportsman, an accountant, or this or that. It's not really a purpose. And therefore they stay focused on it maybe for six months, a year, two years, and then it fades away and then gets replaced by the next fad or the next thing that they might be interested in. But I think before you develop that kind of a purpose. That's something that you hang on to for two decades, for three decades or longer. It has to be a purpose, right?
0: Do you think sometimes people adopt other people's purposes? Is that why perhaps they find it difficult to focus?
2: Yeah, for sure. Exactly. They can get inspired and motivated by other people. And that's why I am not a big fan of inspiration and motivation. And people come up to me and go, like, oh, you're a motivational speaker. And I go, absolutely not. My goal is not to inspire you and not to motivate you. My goal is to share tools with you and so that you can take the tools, apply it in your life, and create the changes you want. But if if you meet someone who's inspiring, charismatic, then you can get caught up with their goal and their purpose. And then you could be riding their bandwagon for a year, for two years, for five years, for 10 years. And then eventually all of that inspiration goes away. And then you just go like, where the hell am I? This is not what I want to do. You know?
0: That's a good, that's a good example. So I'm officially not inspired at all by you. I am so, so good. Loud. I'm glad we got that as a win. <laughs> <laughs> Completely... Workshop oriented, um, totally. which is great. Cause Nat was so passionate about um, this, our podcast being workshop style yep. for that reason, because sometimes people get all G'd up and um, it's too bad. This isn't visual guys. Cause you're missing a lot of fun stuff going on in the visual. So it's maybe, maybe, maybe in part two, we, we commit to going YouTube style, but um, I love it. We've got hip hop monk here. Yeah. So, Okay, this is—it can't be more ironic that it's, a, that it's about focus. So,
2: yes. so you define them. You kind totally of, well, you not know. focus. <laughs> so it's purpose, focus, simplify, sacrifice.
0: Well, what's your definition of focus then? So what would you say? How would you define it?
2: Okay, I define And thank you for asking that because I think it's so important when when you're learning something from someone to get them to define the key concepts that they're saying because everybody defines things differently. Right. So if someone says to me, I want to learn meditation, you know, or, or, or just say, if I'm a teacher and I say, I will teach you how to meditate. The student really should be asking the wise student will ask what is meditation, define meditation for me, because then I can understand the concept. So you asking, uh, what focuses is, is a really wise question, grasshopper.
0: So- <laughs> it's not inspiring. It's wise.
2: Is wise. Very, very wise. <laughs> so focus, I define focus as my ability to keep my awareness on one thing for an extended period of time. My ability to keep my awareness on one thing for an extended period of time. So if I can keep my awareness on you for an extended period of time, give you my undivided attention, I am staying focused or I'm concentrated right, on yeah. you. But if my, as you're speaking to me, my awareness drips away, then I'm being distracted. I bring my awareness back. To you, I hold my awareness on you. My ability to hold my awareness in you is my ability to focus.
0: So, do you cultivate? Is it a practice of being able to bring your awareness or attention onto someone?
2: Yes, uh, <clears throat> I. So it is a practice and. The ability to bring your awareness back is the first step, right? That's the first thing. Well, the first step really is realizing that your awareness has drifted away. I'm not sure if you've experienced it because I know how focused an individual you are, <laughs> where that when you're chatting with someone and you see their mouth moving and you're thinking of something completely different, meaning your awareness has drifted away, and then after a minute you realize that your awareness is somewhere else, you look at the person, their mouth is still moving and they're talking to you. And then you bring your awareness back to them and you go, aha, yes, I see what you're saying, right? Yeah. If, but the first step in learning to focus is to realize that your awareness has drifted away.
0: Mm.
2: The second step is to bring awareness back. The third step is to hold awareness on that thing or that person that you're engaged with.
0: Okay, got it. Yeah. And so obviously, if, you, yeah, if you're not even aware that it's drifted, how do you know to bring it back?
2: Exactly. The same way if I'm... If I drink alcohol every day and I don't realize I'm an alcoholic, then there's no problem, right? I can just drink six bottles of beer every day and go like, I just enjoy beer. But only when I can say to myself, I have an alcohol problem, then can I actually work to solve for the problem.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So it's so you, kind of You the either same. just freed a whole bunch of people and, and let them off. <laughs> but yeah, okay. I get it. I'm being... You're so fun that I want to be jovial with you. And that's part of, to me, um, doing great things, is being able to laugh in the process, um, my hip-hop monk. So I'm getting it. So you bring a great awareness back.
2: To your awareness to stay focused.
0: So holding awareness, yeah. is it like training a muscle? Is it a muscle where you train it over extended periods of time? Like at first you're doing like intervals and then you can – I'm just comparing it to sport here because that's all i've got but is that what it's like
2: it is well there's two things i always say to people you know the two reasons people can't concentrate or focus one is they've never learned how to concentrate and second is they don't practice it so if i want to be a piano player my first step is to learn how to play the piano the second step is i need to practice then the natural question would follow that is how much should i practice well Who do you want to play for? So if I want to play for my grandma on the weekend, I might have to practice 10 minutes a week. If I want to play in Juilliard, then I might have to practice eight hours a day, right? Practicing 10 minutes a week is not going to get me to Juilliard. So same with concentration. The first step in order to cultivate a life of focus or to cultivate focus or concentration, the first step is to learn how to concentrate. The second step is to practice it, right? People think like...
0: Yeah. Why would you want a Juilliard level of focus? What's the value in your life of having that kind of concentration?
2: Can I take a little sidestep here? Yes,
0: yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm yeah. moving. Sorry. My no, mind goes. Ex-
2: no, I, I, it's really interesting because I do a lot of interviews with people and I'm actually doing less and less now because one thing that annoys me is that people don't ask you questions. And I feel like, You know, when when I had my time with my guru and I lived with him, I realized it was never about the answer. It was always about the question. If I asked him the right question, I got a great answer. If I asked him a crap question, I got a crap answer. Hmm. And I saw so many people come sit in front of this wise old man and ask, ask him crap questions, and they all got crap answers. So asking the right question... Is so important, and I think you're doing a terrific job asking the right questions.
0: The jury was out for a second. I'm like, this could go either way. I'm not sure.
2: (laughs) Well, it was in your favor. (laughs) What is the what is the impetus, right? What is the impetus for leading a focused life, a Juliet level focus? For me, the greatest impetus is death, right? We have one life, and we don't get a second shot at it, right? So, in the philosophy that the Hindu philosophy that I subscribe to. I believe in reincarnation, but I have one life as done the The next life, I know I could be a six foot tall blonde head girl named Natalie, right? For example, but I have one life as done the Well, that's the-
0: good. You know who you'd be with. That's good. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry.
0: Bringing it back, noticing that the attention has gone and awareness, we're back.
2: Yes, it went back. So in this life, I am Dondopane, bald-headed, six-foot-tall, brown guy. Uh, and that's all I get, right? I get one shot at this life. And there the are a couple of things that I'm very, very clear about. One is, I am going to die. We've been evolving on this planet for a million, two million years as a species. And the one guaranteed thing is we all die. Another thing I'm very clear about is I don't know when I'm going to die. doesn't mean... I'm young. If I'm 20 years old, that means I'm going to live to 80 because babies die, kids die, teenagers die, young adults die, middle-aged people, old people die all the time, right? Age is not a factor of whether you'll die or not, right? Mm -hmm. So you could be any age and you could die. So for me, death is the great impetus, right? Because for me, if I have one life, then life is such a precious gift. How, How do I want to live this life? what is one of the big things I want in life? For me, one of the big things is I want to live a joyous life. One of the great sayings that my teacher had is that life is meant to be lived joyously.
1: Mm.
2: And I love that saying, life is meant to be lived joyously. I take that and I say happiness should never be pursued because if you took 100 people and you asked them, what do you want in life? Most people will say to be happy, right? And happiness should never be pursued. What you want to pursue is a lifestyle where the byproduct of that lifestyle results in happiness, You're with your your partner living in Switzerland, having the life. The byproduct of that is you're happy, right?
0: Hmm.
2: You're talking to your priest friend. The byproduct of that is happiness. Happiness. Happiness.
0: Looking at this brown brother is happiness.
2: Total (laughs) happiness, right? (laughs) Totally. And so... Once you clear, so, so it's not about pursuing happiness. It's rather pursuing a lifestyle where the byproduct of the lifestyle results in happiness. But in order to pursue that lifestyle, you need to be clear what your purpose is because your purpose defines the goal, the goal defines the path, the path defines the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So once you're clear what the lifestyle is, then you can focus on living that lifestyle so that the byproduct of that, you're living a life in alignment with your purpose and the byproduct of that is being happy i know that was a lot but if no I well
0: it, i we encourage people to write to take notes you know to actually yeah. write these things down and i as you were speaking i, I was seeing arrows you know yeah. byproducts for me are like yeah. arrows of this leads to this leads yeah. to this so um thank you for that this, right? yeah, yeah
2: death is the impetus. We only have so much time. And, and just one quick note on this, Sarah, you know, so after three years of living with my guru, you know, we found out he had cancer and, and then, you know, he was dead within two months, two and a half months. And one of the last things he said on his deathbed was what an amazing life. I would not have traded it for anything in the world. Mm. And to me, what profound words to hear from a dying person Right. To be on your deathbed, to be able to look back on your life and go, that was freaking amazing. Mm. You know, how many people can truly say that? Mm. Most people on their deathbed are worried about, you know, the problems they didn't resolve, the things they didn't do, where they're going to go when they die. People are terrified on their deathbed. But to be able to look back on your life and go, wow, that was spectacular. That's what I want to say.
0: Beautiful. And... I get that your guru faced that question long before it was actually on his doorstep, and hence, yeah, his life was a byproduct. Exactly. Um, Right. Beautiful. Yeah. So, like, I don't even want to minimize this, but hopefully, people can really utilize this idea that we have one life. Because here we are in January, the same month where millions of people voiced or created resolutions and they're already distracted from them. Yeah. Now, you know, I'm wondering if this is a case of purpose, but what do you think that distraction is about? So I really want to make that distinction so people can clarify their life a little bit more and start to bring, you know, that step two into it. So what do you think the distraction is all about?
2: Because the re- resolution is based on something that, that's not real. You know, it's not based on relative to where they are today. So for for example, people come up to me and say, you know, 2019, I want to start meditating. I go like, awesome, that's great. And they say, I want to start meditating maybe half an hour a day or an hour in the morning. I go like, that's awesome. I said, how many minutes a day do you meditate right now? They go like, none at all. I'm like, well, good luck with that. All right. There's no way in hell you're going to meditate an hour a day if you don't meditate at all now. The better thing to make your New Year's resolution is to say, I'm going to meditate one minute a day, three days a week. Mm-hmm. Now that's doable. Or even once a week. All I have to do, one minute every seven days I need to sit down and try to meditate. Mm-hmm. Then after two weeks you can say, I'm going to add another minute and maybe another day. And you build in tiny incremental steps. It's like a muscle, right? And, and that's how you know. I think people, when they, when they create resolutions – they create goals or resolutions that are so far removed from where they are right now that it's not achievable. So after doing it for a few days, it's just virtually impossible to get to that to that destination because they don't realize where they are right now and what what the goal they've set does that make sense?
0: Why do you think people do that?
2: Because I think I think primarily primary the primary reason would probably be because most people are just not clear what they want in their life. You know, they, they, I think also the media feeds them all these ideals of what life should be, you know. They see this beautiful couple living in Switzerland, having a year in Switzerland. They go like, well, that's what I want, Mm
0: -hmm. you know. know? And and perhaps sometimes, you know, in asking you that question, Mm -hmm. I don't ask it because I know the answer. It's always the thing I'm kind of asking myself, but perhaps if someone were to see us in Switzerland without any of the story right, that exactly. went into it, yeah. um, then it does seem like it happened magically. However, right. you know, us our attempt was to actually recreate those steps, like what backtrack it a little bit. If we were to engineer it, what actually did happen? Because it was one step at a time. Right. We sold one thing at a time. We planned one, you know, plane ticket at a time. We even you know, deciding where we were going to live was a process in itself. And what, about, in that
2: what about all the sacrifice that took you all that you went through to get to where you are? And people look at me and they go like, oh, you know, he, he's creating this, he's building this thing in Costa Rica. And they go like, oh, things come so easy for him. I'm like bullcrap. Nothing was ever handed to me. That's when, it, when I went to the monastery and I told my guru I wanted enlightenment, you know what he said to me? he said you have to work for it i don't do handouts hmm. i literally worked for everything i have right now hmm. and and that's what people don't see right so people go on social media they, they go online they see the ideals mm-hmm. of what things should be people living certain ways of living and and now you can just doctor any picture to look at make it look pick, perfect right mm-hmm. this is look at me i'm so happy in switzerland i'm so happy in costa rica this is what's happening but what you don't see is all the struggles to get up there. And so people then create a resolution based on that end picture, not realizing the thousand steps in between that are needed to take to get to that place. And then therefore they fail.
0: That's beautiful. I'm so glad you brought that in. What, so you said that it was purpose. Focus. And focus, and then- Simplify. And then-
2: Sacrifice.
0: Sacrifice, sacrifice. like suffering. That's suffering. Sorry. Sacrifice. <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs> the some suffering, suffering
0: and your sacrifice
2: okay like, so basically sacrifice. and to summarize those four things is yeah. who and what are you willing to sacrifice in the order to simplify your life so that you can focus on the purpose of your life mm. so who and what are you willing to sacrifice in in the pursuit of simplifying your life so that you can stay focused on the priorities in your life that are defined by your purpose.
0: So my my mind goes to the opposite of simplify is a lot, you know, like overwhelm maybe or there's yeah. a lot going on. Is that part of distraction? Because there's too much going on and too no, it's, many things. It's
2: it's what? a lack of clarity of what you want. Okay. Right. I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, we live in a neighborhood in New York where there's lots of restaurants and food and stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. So one
2: night my wife said to me, I want pizza tonight. So I said, great, we'll go for pizza. So evening came along, we got dressed up, we walk into its, the pizza restaurant. I said to her, hey, look at this new Thai restaurant just opened up. We've been waiting for it. Like, should we try it?" She goes, like, no, I want pizza. I like, okay. So you keep walking somewhere and I go, like, hey, that Greek place, we've been meaning to go there. How about that restaurant? No, so, I want pizza. So when you know what you want, then you know who and what you don't want. Got it. People get distracted because they don't know what they want. If you know what you want, then it's so much easier not to get distracted. Got it. It's easier to say no. When you know what you want, then you know who and what to say no to.
0: So I know that you um, help people develop clarity of purpose. And, you know, you have... I know you have smaller goals, but you also have 50 and 300 year plans. Like how is that just crazy talk or why create a 50 year? Like what's the distinction Mm -hmm. and value between a 50 year plan and a 300 year plan? Like what's the value of that in your life?
2: Yeah. So I am turning 45 for this year and I know I don't look at, you don't have to say that. I was going
0: to say, Oh man, no wonder you shave the gray.
2: That's right. I didn't the gray. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he doesn't so, have any, by the way.
2: Exactly. I, I age great like a wine, old bottle of wine. There you go. Thanks for showing me your hair roots.
0: <laughs> I know. I was showing you that I got them covered up. It looks great. Thanks.
2: <laughs> um, so I'm 45. Yeah. I want to see myself. The 50-year plan is really about how do I see myself in the evening of my life? So 50 years from now, I'll be 95 years old. Mm-hmm. At 95, how do I see myself physically? How do I see myself mentally? How do I see myself financially, spiritually with my family, right? So, for example, I have a daughter now. At 95, what's my relationship with my daughter? When I see her, do I shake her hands? And I go like, hi, Mina, lovely to to see you this evening. How, how has your day been, right? Mm-hmm. Or at 95, do I see her and I just give her a big hug, you know? and like squeeze her really tight and tickle her. Right? So whatever, it is, whatever it is I want in 95, I need to decide now. If I just want to see her in 95 and shake her hand and be very formal about it and sit down and have a cup of tea with her, just have, let's have a conversation, right? Then that's what I need to put into her head right now. I need to raise it that way that we don't hug her as a family. We just only shake hands. We have very formal conversations, but we don't play. We don't roll on the carpet and wrestle and, you know, chase each other around the house with water guns. We don't do that. This is what we do. But I only know what to do now if I know where I'm going. Does that make sense? The 50-year plan. I hope
0: parents listen listen to this because I've heard you share this and it changed my relationship with my daughter because I could see myself doing things the way I was raised yeah, and realize that's not the full outcome that I wanted yeah. for my relationship. And I really went and I did the work and I'm doing the work on that because I want a different outcome and I, and I'm acting differently now as a mom. It's, it's really powerful. This, this little thing you're sharing. So thank you. I, I get it. I hope people really take this to heart and work it
2: but here, that's the thing right you know sarah it's like the only way you can do the work now is if you have a clear vision of what you want the outcome to be yeah. right but if you don't know what the outcome then you don't know what to do now yeah. so to ask yourself you know how do i see myself with my daughter 50 years from now i want this mm-hmm. then i do this with her now right and that's the 50-year plan the 300-year plan was <laughs> you know when we bought initially we had bought 16 acres of land in Costa Rica and the neighboring property, which we were craving wanting to buy had this beautiful old tree on it. That's probably at least 300 years old. You know, it's like literally 10 or 15 feet wide at the base. And when I stood next to the tree, I said to myself, Oh wow, this is such an amazing experience to stand through next to this really old tree. That's 200 feet tall. And I, and all the other trees were cut down right? Because most of Costa Rica was deforested. And I said to myself, the only way I can have this experience is one, that nobody cuts down these trees or two, somebody 300 years ago planted this tree, secured it for 300 years so that somebody 300 years from now will have the experience I'm having. Because that person that planted that tree will never have the experience. By the time he dies, the tree will only be like two feet wide, right? Mm -hmm. Which is whatever, right? The only person that will enjoy it would be your daughter's great grandchildren. Hmm. So, for me, with the three hundred year plan, is how can I create something beautiful that I won't enjoy wholly, but somebody three hundred years from now will be able to come here and just truly have a life-transforming experience. Wow! Yeah,
0: it it causes it, as as I'm asking, you can feel yourself asking the question inside of yourself. So I love so much about what you do as a teacher. Your examples allow us to layer them over our own lives. And like you said, not to be inspired by your dream, but really how can we layer them into our own life, this one life that we have. So um, yeah, it shifts the DNA of, of how I'm thinking about things to think about it's not necessarily about right now. It's about, the legacy of what that, no, that, I don't know about that word. Let's just get rid of that word. Yeah. It's about what's going to be created.
2: And also, you. and also when you, Sarah, you know, when you push your horizon, so I'll ask you very simple questions and they, obviously I think I know the answers, but just answer me, human me and answer me. Right. Yeah. Do you love your daughter? Of course. If your daughter had a child, would you love your grandchild? Yes. And if you were so fortunate to be able to see, your great-grandkids, would you love those little rugrats? Of course. You would, right? Would you hug them and squeeze them and kiss them?
0: Cuddle them up, yes.
2: Yes, totally, right? Yeah. So now my question is, what are you doing specifically to impact the environment so that your great-grandkids that you love so much and want to cuddle up have clean water, clean air, clean place to live in? (sighs) <sighs> right, And when you ask people this question, most people go, oh, I don't think about that. So if you love them so much, wouldn't you want to be preparing for their impending arrival? Unless you assume that everybody's kid's going to be monks and we'll wipe the species out in one generation. Because right? everybody's celibate monks. Yeah, not That's not going to work. But if you're going to have great grandkids, then what are you doing now to create a beautiful place that they can live in? And part of the 300-year plan is for me to think, you know, if my daughter doesn't become a nun, mm-hmm. then might be, she might be a nun because I was a monk before. And, uh, but if she doesn't, if she gets married, then what am I doing for my great grandkids, my grandkids and then my great grandkids, what am I doing to impact the planet?
1: Mm-hmm. And I
2: think having that 300 year plan just allows me to think bigger than myself.
1: Yeah.
2: You know,
0: that. and it's first, not you about, you had it's me not on about, a train of like, like what kind of DNA do you want to, like emotionally leaving someone and then you really shifted it to the world that they live in. And that kind of had me look a lot bigger.
2: Yeah. Both things, the DNA we want to leave in a person, but also the world that we want to impact. And and I don't, I'm not a big fan of the term legacy as well, because I feel sometimes it's a little bit selfish. You know, one of the things my guru said when he died is get rid of all his stuff. And Mm -hmm. we're like, no, we want to keep your stuff. And he goes, get rid of it. He says, I don't, want people, I don't want, pe- want people to come to the monastery and make it about me. It always has to be about the tools and teachings. The tools and teachings are what changes people's lives, right? So when I feel it's a legacy, then it's about remembering Dandapani. This is what Dandapani left for the world. But my perspective is more, how can I serve the world selflessly? What, does, what do I need to do? right? How can I serve selflessly? So I walk into a room and I go, how can I serve? What can I do to make this room better? Whether it's sweeping the floor, serving somebody a glass of water, it doesn't matter. How can I serve? So the same way with my 300 year plan is, how can I serve the world? How can I use my talents, my skills to make the world a better place? But it has to do nothing to do with me at all, right? Yeah.
0: Somebody once told me, That if you want to make sure that your legacy isn't about you, ask yourself if somebody else were to create that thing that you have in your mind that you want to leave behind, if somebody else did it without your name on it, would you be okay with that? Meaning it doesn't even matter how it arises.
2: I like that. And I really
0: like that. I I, I think about that often. Like it removes all competitiveness because we are, you know, collaboratively people are bringing ideas all the time. So if somebody else is creating it and doing it great, you can champion them because it's like, yeah, this is awesome. Whereas, you know, in the past, even a business idea, I would think things like, well, that was my idea. I had that idea. And that was like the scarcity idea that it has to come through me. And so I'm not saying I've always got it, but it always is front of mind when I think about um, what kind of purpose I have and what I'm really wanting to leave behind. So, um, thank you for that. The 300 thing is going to, I'm going to have to think about that some more. So just to round out this conversation, because now I know we have a part two, which is like the saucy part two. That's great. Um, what could people do starting right now? So let's just pretend that they have their purpose. Okay. So we've done a little bit of work on people doing some meditating, um, cultivating some, some of their dreams and some of the things that they're passionate about. So what could they do starting right now to begin practice directing their attention?
2: I would say the first step is start with number four in that list, sacrifice, right? Remember that energy is a finite resource. You only have so much energy. So who and what are you willing to give up in the pursuit of simplifying your life so you can stay focused on your purpose? So, the first step is figuring out, am I doing too much? Are there too many people in my life? Because, in order to manifest something, you need to put energy into it. And if you have too many things and too many people, then your energy is being scattered. So, before you start focusing, even start looking around you and going, how can I simplify my life? And sacrifice and simplify kind of go together, right? Because as you give up people and things, you're simplifying your life. But I broke it up into two steps so that it's easy to comprehend mentally. But that's what I would say would be the first step.
0: Okay. And I'm, I want to end on that because I don't want to give, like you said, we're about simplifying. So if you take that step that Dandapani said right there and begin simplifying and not getting overrun by everything else, watch your life begin to turn in the favor of that which matters most to you. So Dandapani, I want to thank you. I mean, all of our conversations I don't know why, but they feel like they get cut right in half. But therefore, we're still hungry for more. So that's the good part. And I so appreciate you because I know you honor your time. I know you're very present and purposeful with what you do. So for me, you being here is a real labor of love. And, you know, I told you this off record, but that you've really been a part of creating what Nat and I are bringing forward here. So thank you so much. We really... um, yeah, such a huge heart for you, your generosity of spirit. You're so present when we're together, and you're like a warm blanket. Honestly, I love blankets. I'm obsessed. I buy, I buy way too many blankets. I simplify my life, and then I notice next thing you know, I'm buying all these new blankets. But just like a warm blanket, you're very soothing, and you've really given us the courage to use this one life that we have so that we can create something greater. So thank you so much.
2: You're welcome. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah. I appreciate
1: you too. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group.
0: Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this and in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So, open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the Listen Now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So, now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on Write a Review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit. And even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.